0: John 15, I'm going to be reading verse 1 to 11, so that includes what we looked at last week. But we're going to be focusing on verse 7 through 11. So, John 15, 1 to 11. Let's pray together. So, as we pray, I want you to think about both receiving and giving. We are here to receive from Christ, we're here to receive His Word, we're here to hear what He says, to be changed, to be shaped by it, that we might see Him more clearly. Respond to Him through His grace, by faith. It's also giving. As you, you think about your own giving, giving praise to God, giving giving obedience, yielding the whole of your life to Him, which is the response to His Word. And also, even in our regular giving, whether you give through putting something in the box or uh, th- online or, or whatever method, but we, we want to always remember that part of our response is is simply a yielding of who we are and what we have to Him. And so, Father, we come to receive Your grace, to respond to that by giving You praise, by giving obedience, not that we might be loved, but because by grace we have been loved, to be changed by You, to be shaped in every aspect of our lives that we may live to the praise of Your glory. We think about this past week and how we have served or failed to serve You. We repent where we have fallen short. We praise You for the fruit that we've seen born. Sometimes in amazement, we praise You. We think about all that You've placed into our hands, our families, our lives, our time, our money, our possessions. Consciously, Lord, as believers, we yield these to you, knowing that we are not owners but stewards. Remembering that any good thing we have is from your hand and is to be used for your glory. And so, teach us, instruct us, lead us now, for Christ's sake. We pray. Amen. John fifteen one to eleven. Jesus speaking says, "I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser." Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may be more fruitful. Already you are clean, and we saw last week, that means by this process of pruning, already you're clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. full so ends the reading of the words of Christ the life of a genuine disciple of Christ is to be a fruit bearing life filled with his love and his joy where he is present his presence will be seen by the effect that it has on us and those around us that's what fruit is it is the living evidence of Christ's presence in you. I mean, how do you know that's an apple tree standing over there? Well, I'm no botanist, but the big red apples hanging on its branches give evidence of its appleness. In the same way, the fruit of Christ's presence in my life gives evidence of. that that I'm a Christian, that He does indeed dwell in me. How do you know? Well, because you, you, you see at least glimpses of the evidence of His presence. And this is what we're talking about when we talk about fruit. Wherever Christ dwells in a person's life by faith, He will make His presence known by the fruit that He bears, that He produces. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. We... Saw last week, verse 4 and 5, "...abide in Me, and I in you, as the branch, and that's you, as the branch, cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in Me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever, whoever abides in Me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from Me, you can do nothing." And so the point of all this is to show you, dear Christian, that you must cling to Christ, drawing life from Christ as you are anchored to Christ. The key here is not you getting out there, getting busy, trying to do something for Him. The key is that you must draw near to Him and let His life flow in you in such a way that His work by His presence is seen in fruit-bearing. So so draw near to Him. Abide in Him and you will bear much fruit. But apart from Him, you can do nothing. And so this week, building on that, we want to look at this fruit-bearing life. What does it look like? Uh, Thinking both biblically, thinking practically, what does it look like? Number one, First thing we see is that the fruit bearing life of a disciple is a life that is shaped by Christ's presence through His word and prayer. Verse 7. If you abide in me, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. For by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples, abide in me," he says again. Now, this is the fifth time he's said that here in John 15. It must really be important. And so, what does abide mean? Well, again, we've seen it means to remain, to, to stay planted, to to keep hold on something, to to maintain this this, this living connection with the one in whom you are planted. And so this this is not mysticism. He's not talking about having some kind of mystical feelings of union with the one or some nonsense. He's talking about a living relationship with Christ. Keep yourself connected to me. How? He then mentions two things. Notice it in verse seven. First, by continuing in his word. Do you see that? If you abide in Me and My words abide in you, then second, growing out of that Word through prayer. Verse 7 continues, If you abide in Me and My words abide in you, what will happen? Ask whatever you wish, and it will be given. The Word and prayer. So we abide in Christ by having a life that is focused on drawing near and drawing life from Him by means of His Word and prayer. Now wait, before you say, oh, that again, you know, Word and prayer, Word and prayer, heard that before, well, look carefully at what Jesus is actually saying. Because if all you hear me say, or hear Him say, if all you hear is, oh, make sure you have a daily quiet time, Make sure you, you, you're having daily devotionals and read your Bible and pray every day. If that's all you're hearing me say, just perform your duty, do your spiritual discipline. If that's all you get, you won't get much good here. I'm not saying you won't get any good. By the mercy of God, opening His Word in prayer, even when you do it wrong, <laughs> is beneficial. I mean, daily devotions are great. I hope that you have a daily time in God's Word and prayer. It's, in fact, pretty essential that you should make that your goal. But, but, but if it stops with that idea of a spiritual discipline or performing your duty before God, getting this off your checklist, if that's all it is, you've missed something vital. But because the point is not just to perform a spiritual duty, the point is to anchor your life in Christ. To know Him. And, and the Word and prayer are means that He gives you to do just that. This is where you access the living presence of Christ. Let me give you a dumb illustration. Doesn't that inspire you when you know it's dumb before we even start? Uh, but let's say that you want to get hit by a semi. That's the dumb part. I know none of you came in here wishing for that. But let's say you did for some whatever reason. You want to be hit by a semi. Let me let you know that it's never ever going to happen. Sitting here in this building, in the pew, just wishing it would happen. I can't think of any conceivable way that a semi is going to reach you in here. No, if you want to get hit by a semi, you got to get up and go sit on the interstate where the semis run. Children, please don't do that. It's just an illustration. But if you want to be hit by semi, that's what's got to happen. In the same way, if you want to be hit by the presence of Christ, you've got to spend time where his presence runs. And his presence runs through every page of his word and in the place of drawing near to him by prayer. Again, hear him. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you will and it'll be done. My words, he says. Tachremata. Uh, Not logos, like you might expect, but tachremata, which means uh, my utterances, that is, every little thing I have said. And so we're talking about the totality of His Word dwelling in you. In fact, again, notice that word abide is used even here. Like my words abide, dwell, live in you. And so if you want to be abiding in me, my words must be finding a place to dwell within you. So, so this is more than just having a little devotional thought from time to time. This is more than just a casual reading of Scripture here and there. This is meaning that you're feeding upon God's Word, that you're, that, 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 that His Word is coming in and, and getting into your bones and dwelling within you and beginning to shape your life and your mind. Uh, Colossians, 1, uh, Colossians 3, verse 16, we're told as a church to let... The Word of Christ dwell richly within you. Dwell richly. Meaning what? Meaning that we need to think about it. We need to ponder it. We need to give it first place in God's uh, in our life and in the life of our mind. And so the Word is something that you're, you're dwelling on what it says. You're letting it shape your thoughts and focus your passions and, and hone and point and empower your desires. You're not only reading it like you would a novel, but you're meditating on it. You're chewing on it mentally and spiritually because you want it to fill you and shape the whole of your life. And it is as the Word comes in and shapes your life that you then begin to pray in the way He's talking about here because that Word filling you begins to fill your prayers. Again, notice the connection here. Abide, let My Word abide in you, and it is then that you will ask what you wish, and it will be done for you. Now, isn't that an amazing promise? Ask whatever you will, and it will be done for you. How can that be? I mean, a lot of people's faith hits a snag right here. Because they'll say, You know, I did ask, and it wasn't done. What's up with that, God? As one former evangelical, now atheist, said it, nothing ever disappoints like prayer. And of course, if you mean prayer the way he means and many mean, where it's just me trying to get stuff from God, that would certainly be true. And so here is where you've got to make sure you understand and hear what Jesus is actually saying. This verse and others like it are not, it's not a talisman for you to wave around every time you want something from God. This verse is a call to a lifestyle relationship with Jesus. And so as you press closer and closer to Him, letting His Word dwell more deeply in you, shaping your life, shaping your wants, you will begin to ask more and more in keeping with the very things Jesus delights to give. So this is not a carte blanche, meaning an open invitation just to get whatever you want. James, in fact, warns us if we try to use prayer that way, if we only ask to spend it on ourselves, we will get, do you remember what he says? Nothing. But as you live more and more in intimate fellowship with Christ, where your wants and desires are indeed being shaped by His Word, you will begin to ask for those things He's actually promised to give. Your will will be conformed more and more to His will in His giving, so that now the very things you wish for and ask for are the very things He promises and delights to give. And the goal of your asking begins to line up with that which glorifies God to give, and guess what? He'll give it. Which is verse 8. By this, my Father is glorified. Look at the context of prayer. I'm praying for the things that glorify God. I'm seeking God. I want to bear fruit. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. My prayers are all oriented. Let me bear fruit. Let my life look like Jesus. Let Christ be more and more seen. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So what is the proof of discipleship? What's the reality? It is His life Alive in you, bearing fruit that brings glory to God. You are asking according to His Word for the things that glorify God and He is glad to give them. And so what we're seeking here is a life that is oriented to Christ by word and prayer so that God is glorified in us. What is man's chief end? Man's chief end is... To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Okay, let's do that again because that was pretty sad. (laughs) Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Is that the life you are seeking? Is that where you're being oriented and moved and driven by the Word and prayer? A life that is centered on and shaped by the presence of Christ. This is the life of a disciple. This is why we read the Word and prayer daily. Not just to perform a duty, but to draw near to Christ in such a way that our lives, our desires, our passions, our doings are being shaped more and more around Him so that even our asking in prayer is shaped by the things He has taught us He will give. And so the fruit-bearing life of a disciple, first, is shaped by Christ's presence daily through the Word and prayer. Second, he goes on, the fruit-bearing life of a disciple is driven in love, is driven, let me start over, the fruit-bearing life of a disciple is driven by love into a faith-filled obedience. Verses 9 and 10. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Love is at the center of our relationship with Jesus. Amen? Kyle just took us there. And and so never forget that. God so loved that He gave. And so the starting place for all of our thinking about what it means to be in Christ, uh, to belong to Christ, and to to live for Christ as His disciples, the starting place for all that is, as Paul said, He loved me and gave Himself for me. Galatians 2. And, And so... Our fellowship with Christ as we center our lives on Him is a fellowship rooted in His eternal love. I mean, look again at this amazing statement in verse 9. Be astounded by this. As the Father has loved me, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Come on, stop and think about that one for a minute. Take that in. What kind of love is this you've received in Christ? How deep does it go? How far will it reach? John himself, even at the end of his life, was astounded by this. In John 3, verse 1, he says, Behold, we would say, look, look! The Father has given to us that we would be called children of God. Look at it! Do you see? This is the very same love with which God the Father loves the Son. Can you fathom such love? You see, this isn't just some mild affection. This is not a a, a sentimental hallmark card kind of thing. This is a love so vast and deep that it reached down to you from eternity. Christ made Himself a channel, the channel through which the eternal fervent love of God Himself comes down all the way to us. Think about that. In love He predestined us to adoption as sons. And so in a very real way, when you came to Christ by faith, you were swept into an intimate communion of love with Him that mirrors and indeed is made of the same love Christ Himself shared with the Father for all eternity. As the Father has loved me. So have I loved you. Okay, time for theology. This is where knowing that God is Trinity, right? One God who has eternally existed as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this is where knowing that Central truth helps you understand the great depths of the love that's been given you. Never let someone tell you a doctrine like the Trinity is unpractical. That's just dumb. Because here's what this tells us. Knowing God is Trinity and this intimate communion of love that reaches all the way back into eternity, this tells us that this love is not a Johnny-come-lately kind of love. That this is not just a passing emotion that God happened to feel for you one day, on a good day, but now He doesn't feel for you anymore because it's been a bad day. This is an eternal reality of love at the heart of God's character and at the center of His disposition as God that has always been and is never going away. Think about it. When did God first begin to love? When did love enter God's experience? You see, without the Trinity, you'd have to say there was a time love was not a living reality. Maybe a theory, but not a living reality. You'd have to say love came late in God's experience because love can only be experienced and expressed when there's someone else there to love. But, if you understand that God has always and ever existed in a relationship as a Father loving His Son, and as a Son loving His Father, and as the Spirit dwelling within that love, you'll begin to see that God has always been a rich fountain of fervent love. He is in the very essence of His nature filled with depths of eternal love that are now in Christ beginning to surge down upon us. And what Jesus is saying is that these very great depths and heights and and lengths of love that has been his own experience in the Father's presence for all eternity, this has now taken hold of us through our union with him. There is no love like this. 1 John 4, verse 16. Read 1 John 4 this week, it's all over that book. 1 John 4, verse 16, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. There's His very essence. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. He, uh, by this, is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as He is so also are we in this world. As Christ is walking in the reality of love, abiding in His Father, so we are walking in the reality, abiding in Christ, and thus through Him with the Father, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. When you were saved... You were swept into this eternal current of love that that God the Father has for God the Son. This This is what has taken hold of you in Christ, if you're in Christ. This is the fervency of love that will keep you in Christ. As Paul says in Romans 8, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Answer? Nobody. These are the great heights... And depths of love that that Paul prays will be our experience as Christians. Ephesians 3.17 That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in this love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. What is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know, he means by experience, the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Oh, we ought to be shouting hallelujah at that point. Do you know this love? Have you tasted this love in Christ? Are you resting in it? And then look how he applies it here at the end of verse 9 in John 15. He says, "So here's this love, eternal, same love the Father has for me. Now you abide in this love. Verse 9, again, abide in love. Abide in My love. I'm giving it to you, Jesus says. It's yours by faith. Now remain here. Keep your feet firmly planted in this love. Don't don't move an inch away from this love. Don't, Don't seek some other source of satisfaction. Stay here with Me in this relationship. Oh, dear Christian, Do you understand? A great part of the Christian life and the joy of the Christian life is found in keeping this command. Remain in this love Christ has given you. Dwell here in it. Or as Jude says it, keep yourself in the love of God. How do you do that? Well, first of all, you must be in this love by faith. It begins with that miracle of conversion, turning, trusting Christ when you hear the Gospel. You must be in this love. But but then look what Jesus says in verse 10. He says, If you keep My commandments, you will abide in My love, just as I have kept My Father's commandments and abide in His love. So somehow... Keeping commandments keeps you in Christ's love. But you understand there's a way to read that, that is to misread it, and many do. Because if you read that as, okay, you've got to do the work of keeping my commandments in order to be loved by me, that's how you hear this, you've missed it. That's not what Jesus is saying. Commandment keeping does not come first. Commandments don't bring the love. Otherwise, we would have to say that Jesus had to get busy and keep the commandments in order to earn His Father's love, because the very next phrase says, I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Well, that would be heresy. Jesus had to earn the Father's love. It would also have to ignore all those wonderful verses like Romans 5.8. God shows his love to us in this while we were what? Sinners! Christ died for us. So while we were still a mess not loving him, he loved us. So it can't mean that. So what's it saying? Well, remember the point this is making. Keep yourself connected to the love God has given you in Christ. And Jesus says that the commandments play a part in that. So, okay, what part do they play? Well, remember what these commandments are. These commandments are the expression of God's will for our lives. Whenever you read God's commands in His Word, you're seeing what God's will is for your good. So these commandments are not a burden imposed on our lives to keep us from good as believers. These commands are protective fences He has placed around our lives to show us where the good is found. For instance... God's commands concerning sex and marriage, that sex belongs within the covenant of marriage and nowhere else, those commands are not put there to keep us from enjoying our lives sexually and relationally, but to show us where that life is found and where it abounds and where it honors Him and where it is to our good, not our destruction. The command... Channels us in the center of God's willed goodness. So again, His commands are not a burden, they are a roadmap to His blessing. They're not a barrier to our enjoyment of what is good, they are the well worn paths laid down for our good to lead us into His green pastures deeper and deeper into the good that He has prepared for us. Oh, how I love Your law, the psalmist says. The commands don't hinder us. They help us keep to the paths where His blessings are found so that we are enabled to live in the middle of the joy that the loving, faithful Father has determined for us as we walk with Him. And so abiding in Christ's love is not some mystical experience again that we just attain by meditating or or, or something. It is a very practical thing. We continue to run in those paths marked out by His Word where God's loving presence is promised. And these commands, these commands are like a road map leading home, showing us which paths lead to him. It's by the way, it's why Jesus said back in John 14:15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will, why? Well, because you want to be with me. Because you want to be in my presence. Because you want to run where I run and do what I do and avoid the things I hate because more than anything else, you want me because I am your treasure. And so again, the point of all this is to steer you into a life that is centered and shaped by the presence of Christ. It's a life where His Word lights our paths and feeds our souls, teaching us to pray according to His will all that He delights to give. It's a path where the love He has given grips our hearts and gives us a desire to walk with Him daily along the paths that He has laid out for our good, where His presence and power are found. Oh, listen, take hold of Christ. Take hold of this love that leads to obedience. Take hold of Him where His presence is found. And so the life of a disciple is a life centered on Christ by word and prayer. Second, a life of willing obedience to Christ fueled by love. Third, The fruit-bearing life of a disciple is a life of seeking and finding joy in communion with Christ. Verse 11. Oh, what a great verse. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you that your joy may be full. So Jesus isn't telling you these things to steal your joy, but to give you an even greater joy. As you lean into a life centered on His Word, filled with earnest prayer, motivated by love to keep His commands, you will not experience the diminishing of joy, but its maximizing and expansion eternally. You understand? everything He's telling you here is His gift to you for your eternal joy in Him. That's what He's giving. And so what He's doing here is calling you to believe this this morning and to act on it by continuing to draw near to Him in the means He's given so that you may walk with Him in this love and joy. Friend, listen, the welfare of your soul depends upon this. Your happiness, now and in eternity, depends on this. See, we live in an age, we live in an age where the exact opposite message to this, that Jesus is telling us, is screamed at you constantly from every quarter. Just, just an example. Low-hanging fruit, I know, but... Disney recently released a movie called Turning Red that preaches the exact opposite message from this to your kids. Uh, For the girl at the center of the story, happiness is found by looking down within herself. But by looking down there, finding the beast within, letting that beast out, taking what's inside her, which is authentically hers, and expressing it to the world. That's her true self, giving in to her desires, giving into her impulses, doing what she wants, no matter what her parents or others may think, because she is the authority on what will make her happy. And that's nothing but an echo... Of today's self focused view that real joy and genuine truth are found by looking in and obeying your own inner, in this case, panda, otherwise we would say your own inner feelings and desires. So, real life is found in here, and yet God makes it crystal clear that the opposite is true and that that message is ultimately self-destructive, I would say suicidal. Because when you look inside yourself like that to find truth and to be governed by what you see in there, all you end up finding is a self-deceived heart bent inward towards sin. An inner tyrant of self-seeking desire that will make you its slave. Ask anyone who's been a drug out- Addict or alcohol addict or porn addict. Real life and lasting joy are not found by doing your own thing, charting your own course, inventing your own truth, and then expecting the universe to bend to your will. Newsflash, it won't because it's God's universe. (laughs) No, these are found by looking away from your self destructive heart to Christ. The Savior. That's what Jesus is calling you to take hold of in the face of this world's self destructive fantasies. He is calling you to believe that the life and joy your heart seeks are found not in you, but in Him. I mean, listen to His promise, John 5 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life no one comes to these things in the father except through me so the path that leads the path that leads to this kind of joy are found in a love empowered obedience to christ by faith listen obedience to christ because we love him and trust him That brings eternal joy. Daily walking in obedience to Him does not hinder joy, it expands it forever. Psalm 4, verse 7. uh, The psalmist, I love this psalm. The psalmist says, You, O God, have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and new wine abound. And in the ancient world, that means, on their very best day of partying, I've got far more. And theirs is temporary and leaves them sick with a headache. And falls away, and I've still got you. If there was one thing I could teach the children of this church this morning, it would be this. Right, kids? You listening? We love you. How we pray for you. It would be this that at some point, this broken world is going to tell you that by walking away from Christ, by walking away from the truths you've heard, through your parents, or through this, or, or through this church, or wherever, by walking away from these things, you will be able to find, looking in yourself, into the world around you, more love, more enjoyment, more of whatever it is you think will satisfy your soul. You'll get it out there. Please do not believe them; they are lying to you. And behind every one of those lies is an evil plotter seeking your destruction. And God's word, which is for your good, says the opposite. It says if you instead will press in to know Christ through His gospel, if you will cultivate a heart that loves and longs to walk with Christ, if you will learn what it means to follow Him by faith, you will find more joy and satisfaction and every other good thing than this world even understands, let alone offers. Psalm 14. Psalm sixteen, verse eleven: You make known to me the paths of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures, pleasures forevermore. Joy. Now we're out of time, but I guess we got, got to look at joy quickly. Joy, joy. What kind of joy is this? John fifteen, eleven. He says, "These things I've spoken to you, not just so that joy may be." What kind of joy? You see it? What joy does Jesus want inside of you? My joy. Jesus' own joy in you. I mean, this is what Jesus is offering here. Not just joy, but His own joy. So just as the love He gives is the same eternal, delightful love that He's known in the presence of the Father forever, so the joy He gives is His own abundant joy streaming down into us from Him. That's not a passing feeling. That's not a temporary thrill. It is a deeply abiding experience of a blessed life in the presence of God. Christ's own joy. I mean, I don't know what you think about when you think about Christ when He walked this earth. I don't know if you think that He was some dull, dreary, somber, you know, uh, joyless wimp like you see in some religious art. Luke, who knows a whole lot more than you and I do about it, says this, Luke 10.21, at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise You, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because You have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit. That's His nature. That's who He is. And that's what He offers and so these are the qualities that flow into our lives as we are joined to Christ by faith and keep walking with Christ. His joy and love. By the way, another side whole sermon, not going to do it right now. But when we look at the fruit of the spirit in Galatians 5:22, and there's an ordering, I believe there in the fruit of the spirit. What are the first two fruit of the spirit in Galatians 5:22? The fruit of the spirit is what's the next one? joy love and joy are in the very essence of what it means that Jesus is alive and at work in your life these are what he is giving us where Christ is present by the Holy Spirit love and joy abounds and this is what we're being called to abide in and not move from this is the life that he is he's calling you to pursue and to remain in first Peter 1 8 and 9 though you have not seen him you love him. Though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's the life Christ is calling you to. Come to Him. And if you're in Him, remain, dwell, settle down, rejoice, abide in Him. Father, all the foolish temporary temptations of the world around us offering so much, delivering so little leaving sickness and brokenness and disappointment and that's just in this life eternally nothing but dismal destruction but with Jesus, there is fullness of joy and His right-hand pleasures forevermore. In Christ, we are brought deeply into the love that formed the universe and sent the Savior to the cross. In Christ, we are given the tapstone of an abiding joy that will do nothing but grow richer as we inhabit eternity forever and ever. Oh, Lord, my desire is for each person, each child, each adult in this room to draw near to Christ by faith, to receive by repentance and trust, this new life that empowers faithful obedience, not to win this love, but the cause of this love. Oh God, give this gift. And give it abundantly. And show us what it means to walk in it day by day for Christ's sake and for His glory. Amen.